started. Father, we, we come to you this morning, just Lord, so desperately needing to hear from you, to be refreshed by you, to be encouraged by you, to learn about you. Lord, your word says that as the rain comes down and doesn't return until it accomplishes what you want it to do, Lord, we ask that your word would do that this morning. Lord, we don't know what all you want to accomplish in our lives this morning, but your spirit working through your word does it all, and we ask that you would, would honor your word with that this morning. Thank you now again for the opportunity to be together, and we give you the praise and the glory for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, they, um, our focus for these last six weeks has been on redemption, and we talked the first week that back about the fact that there is nothing more important in our lives than our redemption, our salvation, to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have been saved, that we have been redeemed from our wayward way of life. Uh, we set all kind of priorities as we walk through this world. And we think that this is important and that's of less importance and that's good. But we need to be careful that we don't overlook the most important thing. And that is to know the Lord. Um, we've talked about redemption as being a special intervention of God for the salvation of man. If God had not taken the initiative to come to earth, to make himself known, to reveal himself to us, we would not have had an opportunity, would we? Man can only know God as God reveals himself to us. Several times in, in Paul's writings, we, we come across an area that we can tell that it's just a, a passion for Paul. I mean, you can just feel him just kind of welling up, you know, with, with this drive, this thing that he's got to get across to us. And I think one of these is in Philippians 3. He says, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for Christ. And here comes the passion. He says, more than that, I count all things lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That knowing Christ, knowing what Christ had to offer him what he had done in his life was a passion. Surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death in order to 
to, that I may attain to the right, a resurrection of the dead. And he goes on and on saying, he's not already obtained this, but he presses on that he may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of in Christ Jesus. Now there's a, there's a word picture there that I love. He says, I press on to lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. The picture here, in my mind at least, is that here is God, he is reaching out. He's grabbing hold of, of Paul. And Paul turns around and reaches to grab hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of him. You see that? He says, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. So he's setting his priority on the thing that God has, has made a priority in his life. So what I want to suggest to you this morning is that, that this is the way we should approach our redemption. We should understand our salvation. We should understand our redemption. God has laid hold of us. If we are believers, God has taken the initiative. God has laid hold of us. And now it's time for us to continually, not once and for all, but continually turn around and lay hold of what God has for us. And we hold, lay hold of that, but by a greater understanding of what he's doing. You know, it's, it's nice and it's fine to say, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible told me so. And then our theology stops there. You know, and none of us would purposely do that, but sometimes we do it without thinking. You know, we, we need to dig into the richer truths of what God has for us so that we can, in turn, glorify him all the more for what he has accomplished in our lives. So our redemption is one of those things that we just really need to lay hold of and, and not just lay hold of it and get inside the front door of, of heaven and sit down and say, I have arrived, you know, and then we'll do whatever we want to do for the rest of our time on earth. We need to continually be reaching out, laying hold, and trying to understand more and more and more of what he has for us. We've talked, and, and there's a lot of review in this, and I don't apologize for it because we need to keep these things uppermost in mind. We've said that it's the good pleasure of the Lord. The good pleasure of the Lord will be fulfilled in the life of a submissive child. It, 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 one of the things that blows my mind in my relationship with the Lord is that I could in any way, shape, or form give him pleasure. That is just, you know, I know my life. I know the sin that's been in my life. You know, I know the, the shallowness sometimes of my walk with him. But he, his word says that he takes good pleasure in that. Ephesians 1.5 talks about it. Um, but he, his good pleasure is fulfilled in the life of a submissive child. We've talked each week about when we're saved, God puts us on a path. God has a path for our lives called sanctification. And he knows exactly the work that he wants to do in each one of us. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our strengths. He knows what he's called us to, how he wants us to minister. All of these things um, God knows, and he puts us on this path 
And on that path, we, we, we don't realize it at first, but it's, it's God's path. He puts us on there. And as we walk with him, gradually more and more it becomes our path. It becomes the path that we delight in. It becomes the, the, the path that we, that, that's right for us. Okay? And you've heard Dan talk before of um, Psalm 23, I think it's either 3 or 5. You know, he walks in paths of righteousness. That is, he puts us on the right path. We walk in the right path as we walk submissively to him. And, and throughout our lives, the word promises us, if we will do this, that his will will be accomplished in our lives. Psalm 138.8 says, the Lord will accomplish what concerns us. I don't know about you, but when I stand before the Lord one day, I would like to have, first off, well done, good and faithful servant, but I would like to know that even through my ignorance, God has accomplished all that he wanted to do in my life. And I know that y'all would like to have that too. And the only way we can do that is by putting, he puts us on the path. We have to cooperate. We have to be in there. We have to be in the word. We need to learn. We need to know him better. We need to, to, to follow him closer. And this will make our life so much more accomplished and so much more enjoyable. And in the end, we'll have that well done, good and faithful servant. So we've talked about the atonement. The atonement started even before the worlds were created. God set up a plan to atone for the sins of man. Okay? We looked at the cause of the atonement. The cause of the atonement um, would be God's love and justice that needed to be played out in the, in the lives of, of, his, of his children. We talked about the necessity of the atonement. The law, God gave us the law. The law proved that we couldn't do it. And that's exactly what it was supposed to prove. We're not supposed to be able to make ourselves right with God through the law. That's not what it was there for. But it was established so that we would understand our necessity of walking with the Lord, of, of, of being redeemed by his grace and not by our good works. But through that, we've learned that man could be uh, united with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and to receive the imputed righteousness of Christ. There's our, there's our hope. It's in Christ, not in ourselves. And we looked at the nature of the atonement. We spent several works, weeks on that. Uh, the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ. One of the key elements in, in our... In our uh, excuse me. One of the key elements in our understanding of the redemption that we have, that Christ bore the penalty for our sins when he died on the cross. And then propitiation, God's wrath against sin was fully satisfied and exhausted. God is propitiated. He is satisfied with the work that Christ has done on our behalf. He is satisfied with the work, that the, the credit, the... Um, he is satisfied with the, the work that Christ has done on our behalf and has given us his, his nature. Reconciliation, the alienation between God and man has been overcome. We have peace with God, both now and forever. Redemption, we were enslaved to sin 
and through the Lamb's blood, we were, um, we were ransomed, we were redeemed by his blood. And then the conquest we talked about, the um, sin and death, uh, sin, death, and Satan were defeated by the power of our Savior. Okay, that we might walk in, in, uh, in newness of life. Just running through these, but we've spent weeks discussing them. Last week we talked about the sufficiency of the atonement. Okay, we want to spend just a few more minutes in reviewing that. But we said that his divine power, his truth, his power, has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. He has provided by his power, made known to us through his word, he has provided everything that we need. You say, well, I can't walk the victorious Christian. Yes, you can. He has provided it. He has given us that. Okay? And we have life and godliness through our true knowledge of him. As we study scriptures, as we learn from the word, as, that, as the Holy Spirit applies those truths back into our lives, we, we, we are transformed into his image from one degree of glory to the other, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And he has called us by his own glory and excellence. And we talked about the atonement, that it was a sufficient atonement because it was an objective atonement. It was not something that we worked ourselves, but there's something that was done on our behalf and credited to us. Then we talked about Christ's atonement was sufficient because it was established by its finality. It is finished. Christ did everything that was needed to redeem man when he died on the cross and rose again. There's nothing else that we need to do. We talked about the fact that um, so often people will want to add their good works in. Okay? Uh, that's, that's not the case. He did it once for all for all time, obtaining eternal redemption for mankind. And then it was a sufficient atonement because of its efficacy. My understanding is the Catholic Church teaches that when you do infant baptism, all that does is it graces that baby so that it can work its way to salvation. It can attain salvation. It's not the way it is with Christ. He did it all. It was a single, finished, unrepeatable work. Hebrews 9, 12 says, Through his blood he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Okay? Once for all, it's finished, guys. If we place our faith in Christ and he forgives us of our sins... Sure, as we walk along, as we stumble, as, as, as James says, if we, if we get our feet dusty, we have to repent, we have to go to Christ, we have to ask forgiveness. But that's our, our, the core of our salvation is accomplished. It is accomplished, it is done. Um, Matthew 1, 21 says, he shall, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Okay? It's complete. It is sufficient. 
God's path and the right path for redeemable man is available to all who will be sanctified, who are being sanctified, um, promising us everything needed for life and godliness. But we have the promise of that verse 3, 2 Peter 1, 3. His divine power has given us everything we needed for life or godliness. Well, how do we appropriate that? How do we grab hold of those truths and make them real in our lives? Well, the very next verse, as we saw last week, tells us. He says, for by these, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them, by those promises, we may become partakers of his divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So how do we take these truths and internalize them? How do they become redeeming power in our lives? We go to the word of God. We claim, lay claim to those promises that he's, he's given us. Okay? The Holy Spirit takes those promises, makes some power, so to speak, in our lives. And in doing so, we're changed. 2 Corinthians 3.18 talks about, we look into the word of God, we see as in a mirror, the glory of the God reflected back into our lives. And when we see that, we are changed from one degree of glory to now to another. So we take the promises, we look into them, we lay hold of them, we live by them. I've shared with you in the past the, the phrase that, that means so much to me is that we have to live in the good of them. Okay? We live as though, yes, they are real. God did mean them for me. And, and we lay hold of them by faith. Once we are saved, the Spirit, Holy Spirit, ministers these truths into our lives. And here again, we've been repeating this week by week. But try to visualize this in your own life. God's truth delivered to us through the Word of God by His Spirit to His children for our edification and His glory. The truth, this is the way that God reveals his truth to us. This is the only way that God speaks to us today is through his word. Okay, so his truth coming through his word. By his spirit, the Holy Spirit takes the word, makes it real in our lives to his children. And those are for our edification, for our building up, our, our, our um, sanctification and for his glory. And that's, that's the way we get the truth of God into our lives. It doesn't happen by 10 minute quiet time, three times a week. It takes living into the word, living in the word. Okay. To say it another way, and this based on 2 Corinthians 3.18, the spirit of God takes the word of God transforms the child of God into the image of God for the glory of God. That's the whole sanctification process right there. 
And this brings us to the point where we started in our first week together looking at God's priority for, for his children from Romans 8, 29, and that being conformed to the image of his son. No matter what our job, you know, what did the kids used to say? Uh, uh, oh, I can't call it. Maybe the kids can remember, but I can't right now. Something about, uh, well, I'll pass on that. Whatever our calling, our leading in life, whether we work, whether we are a homemaker, whatever we do, God's main priority for us is to be conformed to the image of his son. That comes by the spirit through the word. Okay, that's by way of review. This morning we want to talk about the extent of the atonement. And we want to look at it from two different perspectives. We want to look at it from the standpoint of who the atonement is offered to, the extent of who it's to be offered to, and then we want to look um, to the extent of, of its attributes. Okay. Who is this offered to, and what are the attributes? When we consider the extent of the atonement, the question to address is, for whom did Christ die? On whose behalf did Christ offer himself a substitutionary sacrifice? And for whom did he propitiate the wrath of his father? Whom did Christ reconcile to God and redeem out of the slavery of sin and Satan? For whom did Christ die? The answer to that usually falls in one or two camps. First off, there's what we call the universal atonement, also referred to as the general or unlimited atonement. This camp believes that the atonement is for anyone, uh, normally for anyone, for whoever, asks Jesus into their heart, a misunderstanding of, of John 1.12. So in this, this case, the universal atonement is the doors are wide open, everybody is, is, is welcome, okay? And to an, an, a, an extent, that is true. And we will talk about that and we get to, to, to looking at some verses in John in a minute. But then there is a particularist, I have trouble saying that, who believe that Christ died as a substitute for particular individuals whom the Father chose in eternity past and gave to his Son. And that's the camp that most of us fall into. This position is known as a limited atonement, that Christ's atonement is limited to the elect. Other terms have been used to identify this position include definite atonement and particular redemption. Okay? Now we're going to look at some scriptures to kind of uh, undergird what we're talking about. But if you kind of keep those two elements in mind, the universal atonement, where if you just say the words and ask Jesus into your heart, anybody and everybody will be saved. It gives a false hope to many. And then the limited atonement 
was says that that God has died for Jesus has died for a particular group of people who was chosen by the Father uh, before the foundation of the world. And Romans eight twenty nine and Ephesians one four two scriptures that we back up use to back up that. Okay, the pr- precise question of for whom did Christ die is often misunderstood. Asking for whom did Christ die is not the same as asking for who the gospel should be preached to. Okay? Calvary believes that the gospel should be proclaimed to everyone. Romans 10, 14 reminds us that how can they believe unless they have heard? And we firmly believe that it is our responsibility to proclaim the word. We do not have the ability or the responsibility to know who Christ has chosen to redeem. That's for him to make that decision. The real question is, in whose place did Christ stand as a substitutionary sacrifice when he bore the full wrath of his Father's righteous wrath against sin? And the answer is only those who will never hear, will never bear the wrath themselves, and that's namely the elect. Now, I can remember the first time I heard about the elect, and this was before I came to Calvary. I was teaching a Sunday school class, and someone in the class said something about the elect. And it just flew up in my face like a a fire. And I said, I will never believe that. I will never believe that. And the same fellow in the back said, Joe, you do believe it. You just don't know it yet. (laughs) And then I came to Calvary, this Calvary, and I found out what he was talking about. So if that kind of flies up in your face when you hear it, give it time to sink in and let's look at the Word of God and see what it says. We're going to look at the uh, 6th chapter of John and, and then Romans 8. These are two of my favorite passages when it comes to um, this subject. In, in John 6... Jesus establishes the truth that there was a specific group of mankind who the Father has declared to be the beneficiaries of his saving grace. And this is what we call the limited atonement. Okay? Now, I'm just going to let the word speak for itself. I'm going to go through and I'm going to read some of these verses to you. First off, John 6, 44. He says, No one can come to me unless the Father draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. You ever wonder why some of the people in desperate need just totally turn away from from God? Unless he calls them, they, they can't come. That's a hard truth, but it's a truth. John 6, 65 says, no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. 
And then Ephesians 1.4 says, He chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now let's, let's get a, a picture, a mental picture out of our mind. There's, there's never been a time when someone was begging and pleading with God to save them and not send them to hell. And he turned his back on them and said, you're not among the chosen. I, don't, I can't hear you. That has never happened and that never will happen. The soul that longs for the Lord, the soul that was willing to repent, the soul that is, is, is asking forgiveness will be heard. And we're going to see that in these verses. Jesus takes these promises, these, the first three verses that we've talked about, and he makes promises to God's children based on the Father's revealed will. John 6, 37 says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I certainly will not cast out. The lost man, the lost woman who desires to come to the Lord, who seeks forgiveness, will find forgiveness. John 6, 39 and 40 says, This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given to me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. Not one will be left behind. They made a movie out of that, I think, but it's a little bit different scenario, I think. Maybe we should make a Christian version of none left behind. Huh? This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but lays it up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. And Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. Okay? So while there is... Boy, you want to come up here and teach this lesson? Come on. Yeah. Actually, we know whose granddaughter that is. His face is red and his head is down. <laughs> That's okay. My granddaughter's done the same thing. No. Um, this is, to me, one of the most liberating truths that I've ever learned as a Christian. That God has chosen those who are his. That he will not turn aside any soul who earnestly desires him. But there are those who he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. We have to leave that in the Lord's hands as to how he, he works that out. Another passage of scripture that I dearly love, and I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Romans 8.
Great. Here we go. The extent of our redemption that we're talking about this morning can be measured in more ways than just mere numbers. We consider the number of people who, who will be saved. Christ redeemed are also identified by the eternal blessings that they give, that God has bestowed on them and will bestow on them. While God has not given us a list of who these people are, we can see in Romans 8, Romans 8 from their description who they are. And this will help us to identify. Not to say that, oh yeah, you, 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 uh, uh, what's the word I want? You meet up to these descriptions so you're in and you're out. That's not the thing. But when we read this and we realize what God has done for us as his redeemed, it's absolutely, Dan's left, so I'm going to use the word, it's awesome. He was back there, and I'm not going to use that word while he's around. <laughs> the extent of God's redemption is seen in the overflowing blessings that he has secured to the redeemed ones. I'm going to read through this, this chapter. Yeah, I got a chapter? Yeah. <laughs> okay, go, go. We got 22 minutes, so y'all have to listen fast. Okay. No, if we don't get it all, oh, that's fine. What I want us to see are the blessings that we have as God's redeemed. And y'all are probably as familiar or more familiar with this chapter than I am. But I tell you, looking at it from that perspective this week, it's like reading it fresh and anew. Therefore, verse 1, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That tells us even now today, there is no condemnation for us as believers who are in Christ Jesus. That's where all our blessings come from, to be in Christ. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. You know, before he came, all we had was the law that we were trying to live up to. And the law proved to us that we couldn't. We couldn't make it. So the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. What a blessing. Huh? What a blessing. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned sin in Jesus' fleshly body on the cross. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So all the requirements that the law had have been filled in Christ and we have been given that gift. We can say that we walk in perfect obedience to the law 
because we do it in Christ. We walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. There's a whole new door open to us. We don't walk by the flesh, by our own efforts, by our own obedience. We now walk according to the spirit. The spirit brings life. The the law brings death. For those who, according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. How many years did we walk with our minds set on the flesh, on the ways of the world and all, but now we can set them on the Spirit. The Spirit opens up the Word of God to us. It's a whole new vista has opened up to us. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the thing of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Wow. We don't have to have our minds set on the things of the world and the flesh and the devil anymore. Christ has set us free from that. For the mindset on the flesh is death. But the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Boy, isn't it great to be able to open the word of God and, and just peruse through it and, and, and let the, 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 the peace and all of the Lord just kind of fill your life with those truths? Verse 7, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. It does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It would go to say that those who walk by the Spirit can. What a blessing to know that, huh? However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. The one thing, I'll probably mess this up, the one thing that uh, Dan always tells us about the, um, I got a word down, the one thing that we desperately need, don't have, and can't earn, is righteousness, holiness. And he says we are alive because of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, imputed to us who walk in the Spirit. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Okay? I remember many years ago, um, we, was, we were at Birchman, and we had, if you're all familiar with Birchman, you, you know, they had the period of revival back in the 80s, and, and I can remember the, the pastor standing up at, 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 uh, before the church after that, and he just says, I don't have to sin anymore. You know, it was like it, it just dawned. You know, he just, you know, we 
he has given life to our mortal bodies. We're not under obligation to the flesh. We don't have to serve the flesh. We don't have to be obedient to the flesh anymore. Okay? For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you go live. The Spirit we have now in us to put to death the deeds of the body. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. We have a new captain now. We have a new leader. The Spirit of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which you cry out, Abba, Father. We now have an adoption. We are now adopted sons. If we get a chance later on uh, to, to finish this series up, we're going to talk about the adoption, our adoption uh, in Christ. Great, great blessing. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. The assurance of faith. What a blessing. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children of God, then we are heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, uh, so that uh, we may be glorified with him. We are fellow heirs with Christ. We will share in his victories. We will share in his, the blessings that he receives. For I consider that the sufferings of the present times are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation awaits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. You know, all creation joins with us in looking forward, eagerly looking forward to the revelation of, of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, and hope that the creation itself will be set free from the slavery to corruption and to freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we now ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption of sons. eagerly awaiting the adoption of sons, the redemption of our body. Previous to this, he talked about the fact that we had been adopted as sons. I think this second reference to it, and coupled with the idea of redemption of our body, that's talking about the final um, uh, redemption, the final adoption, when we will be completely, you know, his in heaven. For in hope we have been saved but in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we persevere. With perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Here's a section that I love. He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps our weaknesses. Anybody feel like they have weaknesses that they could use some help with? Yeah. Specifically, 
this is a great blessing. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for word. And he who searches the heart knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. How many times do we sit down and we go to pray for something and we really are not sure what God's will is in that particular situation? You know, we want God's will, but we don't know. We just, we just don't know. We're ignorant to that. Well, it tells us that the Spirit intercedes for the saints how? according to the will of God. So if we pray, we pray, we pray amiss, the Holy Spirit, I think, intercedes there. And he, he has the, the error of the Father. He has a perfect understanding of what the Father wants to do. And he prays for us. Now that's something that an unbeliever doesn't have. And we know that he causes, here we go, the great eight. And we know that he causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. He causes all things to work together for good. There will be individual things in our lives that we don't consider good, but when we look back on it, we'll realize that he used that in connection with other things to, to, uh, for good in our lives. Nobody wants cancer, but how many cancer survivors can attest to the, to the good that came out of that? You know, Nobody wants an automobile accident, but many can attest to the, to the good. These verses here, the foreknowledge and all, we're going to we'll get a chance to finish this series later on. We're going to go through each one of these individually. The blessings, for, tho- for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He's piling blessing on top of blessing on top of blessing. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Jesus Christ is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. 
For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing is able to separate us from the love of God who is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, we said when we started reading this that the, the, the redeemed are identified by being recipients of these blessings. In verses 31 through 39, we see, and I never saw this until this week, reading back through it, we see the word us, U.S., and that identifies us. It's talking to the believers. He says God is for us. He delivered his son over for us. None can condemn us. He intercedes for us. Who can separate us? And he loved us. That's one of the ways that you can, can, can measure the, the extent of the redemption. Only God knows the number. Only God knows who he's going to call. But we can rest assured as the redeemed that these promises are ours. And we can go to the scripture and we can claim them and we can live in the good of them. We don't have to wait until we get up there to receive all of our eternal blessings. We have many of them that are available to us today. It's been a joy for the last six weeks, and so we're going to have to give someone else a chance. And then perhaps later on, after, after a little while, we'll give me another chance to, to finish up the series, and we'll look at the application of the redemption. We'll see how it goes. Matt, maybe Matt can give us some 